Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Luke 6. Can I read there for you? This feels really plain to me. It's called the fruit of your life. This is, this is in the Passion, verse 43, Luke 6. You'll never find choice fruit hanging on a bad and healthy tree. Or rotten fruit doesn't hang on a good healthy tree. Every tree will be revealed by the quality of fruit that it produces. Figs or grapes will never be picked off thorn trees. People are known in the same way. Out of the virtue stored in their hearts, good and upright people will produce good fruit. But out of the evil hidden in their hearts, evil ones will produce what is evil. For the overflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and will be heard by your words. What good does it do for you to say, I'm Lord and Master, if what I teach is not what you put into practice? Let me describe the one who fully and truly follows me and does what I say. He's like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and floods rage against the house, it continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest, for it has been wisely built on the right foundation. But the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey it is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation whatsoever. When storms and floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. Which of these two builders will you be? So let's think about what he's saying for a minute. There is... I've been on this series, as you know, about building, and we talked in about the plans rendered, remember, and the clearing the ground, remember all that, and so the foundation about the firmness of soul, that foundation has to be love, the foundation of the kingdom. So right now, this is what you have to do. You have to think about, I'm here with an assignment And I have joined up with a group of people who actually have created entities to express my gift. But I have to do my gift out of love. Not out of that I want to be somebody or make money. See, because if I do it to make money then I have to promote me. If I do it because I love, he'll sell it. Because he's the provider. So he knows what you need. In In these places where God is trying, where he trained you, and he, he gave you opportunity to grow in strength in the area. Because see, whenever it comes time to produce out of your soul, what, what you have in your soul will be seen. Yes. 
That's why nobody wants to do anything because nobody wants to reveal what's really going on in their soul. See, you've got to begin to pay it forward. You've got to begin to invest in the next generation. You've got to get your crazy mind out of your belly button and realize there's nothing in there. And so, you know, I think that this season is so important to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is actually doing things, and, and I'm going to set Mendel up here in just a minute, but she really was going to preach. But but this thing that she was seeing a few weeks ago about the ancient of days, this this thing has been coming to me over and over and over again because what in Daniel 7 what it talks about is that basically the throne is on the move. And the wheels of the throne are fire. So let's think about the wheels of the throne is, is, is on the move across the earth. Listen, stuff's happening. I don't know if you get it, if you look at anything, but stuff's happening all over the earth. Not just, it, it's not crappy here in America because the wheels of the throne are on the move and they're on fire. So think about fire. You can't quench it. Your lack of participation with throne room worship doesn't stop it. You know, when Army and I were talking this morning, I said, listen, you're a worshiper. And so when I get up and I say it's time to worship, it's time for you to worship. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what you're feeling. If you got your little feelers are out, I said, begin to proclaim with your mouth what you're feeling so that you begin to say in the atmosphere what's going to happen. He's giving you an indicator of what you've got to break, and worship is the moment to break it through. Now, I've told all you feelers that, whether you've heard me or not. I don't know if it just sounded way clearer just to him. But that's our job. And so the fire is going. So what does fire do? The Bible says everything that can be burned up will be. That's actually a good thing. Some of y'all got stuff burned up. There's always something calling that's interested in sifting through the ashes of crap to see if there's anything valuable instead of just getting on the throne and moving with the fire of God. Because guess what? When the fire touches gold, it purifies it. When the fire touches something, it makes it more pure. It makes it more important. It makes it do what it was meant to do on the earth. The rest of the stuff needed to be burned up because it was taking up your time. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Middle's going to come, and I, I propose to you that you're going to be on your face. I'm just giving you a help by the time she gets finished, because guess what? This is a word to say, no, I'm leaving behind today everything that one life did do, and I am going to build. I'm going to build. The call from the pulpit today is, will you build? And will you build with the materials that God says? And the first step, the first foundational tool has to be love. Come on. Thank you, Tisa. I feel like it's really important to say, I felt like the Holy Spirit was impressing on me to start off by saying that our hope is in Jesus. It's just that simple. 
Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope isn't in having a mentor, having grass on your yard or a car. Our hope is in Jesus. You know, the, the gospel in this life, when, I, when the fog clears for me, it's really so simple. It's really simple. It's the enemy has made life seem so complicated, but there's really just a few parameters that are, I mean, it's really very simple. It's simple. Where you put your anchor is very simple. Our hope is in Jesus. Just think about that now, but also in your alone time going forward. Where are you putting your hope? Your hope is in Jesus. I most of us would say, would easily agree with that, and we would say that that's true, but how much does your life line up with that is a good question to be asking yourselves. So um, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit uh, gave me a dream um, so, uh, Friday night, I guess it was Friday night, um, that I had this dream, and I'm going to share the dream with you, and, and I'm just going to let this unfold. So I had a dream that there was a man who was a foster parent to a young boy, but his biological mother kept changing the boy's name. She had that authority to officially change what name he was going to go by, and she kept changing it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and the foster father was becoming really frustrated with the biological mother <clears throat> and frustrated with how this was affecting the child, the little boy. So, you know, because she wasn't asking him what name he wanted to go by or anything like that. I could see in the dream that she was looking at society, looking at culture, and deciding what name would be best for him based on what was going on in the culture. So one minute his name would be TJ. But then the next day she would decide it was Michael. And I actually saw that she had read a newspaper article about a Michael and decided that it was more favorable to be called Michael now because of this one newspaper article. So then she printed a newspaper article and said that he would be called Michael. And he, she just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And the foster father just kept saying, enough, 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 enough. That's, he just kept repeating, enough, enough, enough. So to give you just a little bit of a taste of it for now, I looked up what these names meant. It's one of my common practices in trying to um, ask the Holy Spirit what a dream means. And when I looked up the name TJ, it was really interesting because the Google actually put it even in bold and said, TJ in bold has no meaning. Now, a name represents an identity. It represents authority, right? But TJ means it has no meaning. Now, the other name that she was changing the, his name back and forth to was Michael, which we know is a biblical name. But I looked it up, and in the Hebrew, Michael actually represents who is like God with a question mark. It's not a statement. It's very specific that it's a question. Who is like God? Who is like God? That's what Michael means. And so what stood out to me here is that this mother, this biological mother, was going back and forth between naming her child, you have no meaning, okay? You're, you don't have any identity. You have no purpose. Your name has no meaning whatsoever. 
or putting questions on him. Doubt. Who is like God? Who is like God? It didn't have a follow-up answer. It was who was like God. So she was giving her child an identity that was not an identity. It had no meaning, no purpose, and only posed doubts and questions. And the foster father was saying, enough. Now, a foster parent, we have to look a little bigger, but to, to foster something is to encourage or promote the development of something. It also refers to bringing up a child. Now, I want to propose that this is a word that goes, reaches really far. It's also very specific, but it's big picture and little picture. So this is a word I felt like the timing of it, of course, was Mother's Day. And so we can't help but think about mothers because of the, it was a mom in the dream who was doing this. But there's also just the someone who fosters the development of a child. So that's mothers and fathers, that's teachers, that's leaders, that's all of us. We're always leading somebody, whether you call yourself a leader or not. And we are always building something like Tisa has said, and we are always building a legacy for someone coming behind us. So this, this word and what the Holy Spirit was pouring out is not just for mothers. It's for all of us. Anyone fostering the development, especially of God's children. So next I want to share that a few days prior to that, the Holy Spirit brought me to this passage in Luke um, for a roundabout reason. Okay, I was just searching for something else, but I, I read this passage. I'm going to read it to you now, and it just lit up for me, and it's continued to unfold its meaning. And I'm going to read it in its entirety first, and then I'll go back and, and share some highlights. It's Luke 12, 49 through 53, and in the Passion Translation it says, I have come to set the earth on fire. And this is Jesus speaking. Okay, this is the red letter words in the, in the Bible. He says, I have come to set the earth on fire. And how I long for every heart to already ablaze with this fiery passion for God. But first, I must be immersed into the baptism of God's judgment. And I am consumed with passion as I await its fulfillment. Don't think for a moment that I came to grant peace and harmony to everyone. No, for my coming will change everything and create hostility among you. From now on, even family members will be divided over me and will choose sides against one another. Fathers will be split off against sons and sons against fathers. Mothers will be against daughters and daughters against mothers. Mothers-in-law will be against brides and brides against mothers-in-law. All because of me. Jesus then said to the crowds gathered around him, When you see a cloud forming in the west, don't you say a storm is brewing? And then it arrives. And when you feel the south wind blowing, you say, a heat wave is on the way. And so it happens. What hypocrites. You are such experts at forecasting the weather, but you are totally unwilling to understand the spiritual significance of the time you're living in. You can't even judge for yourselves what is good and right. 
When you are wrong, it is better that you agree with your adversary and settle your dispute before you have to go before a judge. If not, you may be dragged into court and the judge may find you guilty and throw you into prison until you have paid off your fine entirely. And that actually was all the way through 58. 49 through 58. So I was asking the Holy Spirit about this dream and this passage. He connected the two, and several things in there were burning in my heart for days. But I want to I highlight a few things before I go on to read the word that he gave me. I've come to set the earth on fire. How, long, how I long for every heart to already be ablaze with this fiery passion for God. I think that sometimes we, have, we forget the big picture, the story of why Jesus came. You know, it gets so distorted, really, in our culture, and and just even, uh, you know, we can look at, we can miss the, the forest for the trees kind of thing. And so, of course, as Tisa mentioned, he just gave us that prophetic message in worship recently about the Ancient of Days, and the throne has wheels of fire, like she said. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing right now. We have to recognize that's what's going on in the world today, like she said on a major, very um, highly visible scale. I think it's probably more visible than it's ever been in history. But Jesus said that's what he was going to do. He said, I've come to set the earth on fire. And Daniel was before Jesus, and he said his throne was a flaming fire set on wheels that blazed like the sun. So it started to you know, dawn on me that, wow, this is God's plan this whole time. That's what God's been doing this entire time. This is what Jesus came for, to set the earth on fire. You know, so I think that we get into this weird place where we think our life is meant for another reason. We think our, our life is more about, you know, how well things go in our home or what kind of home we have, you know, all the stuff. But it's like, and we call ourselves Christians, and we want to be like Jesus, but do we remember what the whole point was? Like, why did he come, and what did he say would happen? So the next verse, verse 50 says, but, I, but first I must be immersed into the baptism of God's judgment. Now that jumped out at me, and the Holy Spirit said, this is what I'm saying that we need to be doing right now. We must be immersed into the baptism of God's judgment. Now there's judgment and then there's, you know, judging, like discerning, like governing. Tisa said earlier that the judgment is meant to govern something. A judge sits and rules and discerns right from wrong and says, this is how we will govern this, this body, this uh, region, whatever it is. And you know, it occurred to me that back in the day there used to be called, there used to be a, a role called a governess. They raised the children in a household. They were a governess. When you are raising children or you are teaching children or you are leading children, God's children, you are governing. You are governing. And so he's saying, I must be immersed into the baptism of God's judgment. And so the emphasis here is that we must be immersed into God's judgment, not our own judgment. 
Now there's, there's a lot that this word covers and the scripture refers to, and it can kind of make your mind explode. I mean, mine was just, you know, mind blown over and over again, but please listen and hear me and listen to this again, read it again, press into this because I cannot express to you how significant this is for this point in time. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving. God is moving. The flames on those wheels on his throne are on this earth moving right now. This is happening. Whether you acknowledge it, whether you know it, whether you participate, whether you kick and scream about it, it doesn't matter. He's doing it. That's like Bill Johnson said in that last Sunday's message, the only reason why there's so much um, going on in the world that looks so extreme is because the, the devil's playing his last card. He's got nothing else to do. The contrast is becoming more and more clear. There are so many prophetic voices that have been saying that is what's happening on earth right now in America and ac across the world, everywhere. And if you listen back to, to our words for the last couple of years, we've been saying it too. This is what God is doing right now. He is rolling across the land with flames of fire. So it will eat your lives and things in your life will either be refined or they'll be burnt up. And so he's saying, because he's such a good, good father, he wants us to be refined in this process. He wants us to participate in this process. He doesn't want us to be traumatized by what he's doing right now. He wants us to look out and see what's happening and see his victory in it, just like we sang about today. We want to look out and see what's happening in the world and what's happening in our own lives with hope, because that is who he is. Jesus is our hope. So he's saying, I first, we must be immersed into the baptism of God's judgment. He's saying, people, wake up. Unlike any other time in history, it is imperative that you align your lives with God's judgment, with how what God sees, with what God says is truth, because it is going to become evident to you. Whether you look for it now or you wait for it to just roll on over you, it is going to be obvious. So he's saying, immerse yourself. Immerse doesn't mean stick your toe in a puddle. It says, dive in, get your head completely under the water, be completely surrounded and covered by his truth, what God says, how God judges things. It's so, so important. Now he says in verse 51, don't think for a moment that I came to grant peace and harmony to everyone. No, for my coming will change everything and create hostility among you. In, the, um, in Matthew, Matthew's accounting the same uh, teaching that Jesus gave in, in that ten, verse, chapter 10, verse 34, it says, he said, perhaps you think I've come to spread peace and calm over the earth, but my coming will bring conflict and division, not peace. In the footnote there, it says, the um, King James New American Standard says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, yeah. a sword. Yeah. Now, this really impacted me because I realized that I didn't grow up in religion. I grew up more in the world, but I heard about God and I had some exposure to him. And I had this impression that every once you became a Christian and if you believed in Jesus, then everything was supposed to become more peaceful more loving. All your relationships were supposed to be better because Jesus was this peaceful, loving guy, right? It's a false teaching. It's a false teaching. 
It says right there, I didn't come to grant peace and harmony to everyone. He bold face says it. I didn't come to grant peace and harmony to everyone. My coming will change everything and create hostility among you. That 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 teaching that Jesus is just going to come through and touch everything and make it so smooth and peaceful is not true. That's not the process. And I realized this was a big issue for me because it created wrong expectations in my life. And so when my life wasn't looking like the peaceful Jesus just painting everything pretty all of a sudden for me, I had a problem with God. I was angry that he wasn't doing what I thought he was going to do. My life didn't look like I thought it was going to look because I had just received this teaching that that's what God was supposed to do. And so that created a big conflict between me and God that once I realized what the issue was, it was a relief to discover he never said he was doing that in the first place. He never said that. And I tell you, it's a little bit, it's a lot reassuring to realize that Jesus said thousands of years ago, what's happening in my life would happen. That's reassuring. That connects me to the heart of God. I don't love it all. I don't, I'm not, I don't love all the circumstances and characteristics that go along with that, but at least I know this makes sense and God's not a fraud. God is actually doing what he said he would do. And in reality, he does bring peace. He does bring peace in the end. It's all about bringing peace and bringing wholeness and restoration. But he does that by creating a dividing line between you and what's godly and what's toxic to you. We just wanted it to happen a different way. Just paint all my worldly stuff, all my religious stuff, paint it with a pretty brush and shellac it and call me a Christian and say we're all good. Right? Painting a pig. Yeah. That's not what he's doing. He says, okay, I do love you. I love you so much that I'm going to come with my sword, with my word, sharper than a two-edged sword, and I'm going to separate everything from your lives, off of your life, that is toxic to you, that will not bring the hope of Jesus. It really is love. It really is his love. I am. Yes. Okay. I'm going to get in there. So, and I, of course, I kept thinking about this word and seeing this picture, but in Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, for we have the living word of God. Who is the living word of God? Jesus. Jesus, which is full of energy and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from God. For nothing that we do remains a secret, and nothing created is concealed. But everything is exposed and defenseless before His eyes, to whom we must render an account so this picture that I saw was, I kept seeing this um, cellophane type plasticky, you know, clear plastic, thin, thin, thin uh, material draped on things, like wrapped around things. 
And it reminded me when I was thinking about this word sharper than any two edged sword, you know, able to separate bone and marrow. Do you know what bone and marrow is like marrow is the stuff inside your bone? It's inside there like it's not made to come out. It's not easily accessible unless you break it. You know, I mean, that's a sharp, precise sword that's like a scalpel. It makes me think of a scalpel, like a surgeon's scalpel. And if you've had any history with God, you'll know that he is able to do this intricate surgery in our hearts where he separates just the finest little thing. And he remain, He keeps what's good and what's godly and what's holy and what's a good seed. He keeps it perfectly intact and just removes that finest layer off of there. And it reminded me, when I was in college, I I was doing a lot of pre-med vet school type stuff. And so we, in one of our anatomy labs, we did a lot of dissecting of some rather large animals. And so I actually had this, um, you know, I actually was able to see um, fascia, which is a, a layer of a very, very thin layer that goes around our muscles and different organs and stuff like that. And it holds them together. It's really, really thin. But I actually had to, in my labs in these anatomy classes, separate that from the organs underneath and from the muscle. I had to use a scalpel and very carefully separate that. And so I've tangibly, I've touched and I've seen it and I've felt it, how thin it is. But it's incredibly powerful. It holds things in a certain place, but it's this thin, almost clear material. So if you didn't know any better, you would look at that muscle and think, well, that's just a muscle. Or you would look at that organ and say, that's just an organ. But it's not. It's got this very thin, thin layer of material on covering it, holding it in a certain position. And that is what the scalpel is doing. That's what the spirit is doing with these fiery wheels on God's throne that are coming through that Jesus came to do with his sword is to separate those things off of your vital organs, off of your muscle, off your strength that are holding you in a position that is not going to work for you, that is not for his kingdom, that is actually bondage. You may have felt it your entire life. You may have felt that that was, that's where this organ always was. That's how this muscle always felt but it's bondage and he knows it's bondage and he is able to come and remove that very thin material to set those organs and those muscles free. So that's what the fire is doing. That is what the fire is doing at this point in time. And again, you can look on a big scale and see all this stuff that's being exposed in the world and how God is exposing. He's separating the dark from the light just like this on a big scale He's separating the fraud in different organizations from the, from the good, good people in different organizations. He's causing a divide to happen so that we can see. It's exposing dark and light. And he's doing the same thing on a microscopic level in us. So when you see what's going on in the world, just look at what he's doing in your own life. Because he's doing it on, he's not doing it in just one arena. It, he is covering the earth with his love. He is covering the earth with these wheels of fire. It's what he came to do. So this is, again, important because when we see our things in our life going a certain direction that look like it's opposite of what we thought God would do in our lives, we can tend to grab a hold of the sides and start working against him. 
It, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. You don't know the long-term plan. We, the enemy tries to tell you, well, this doesn't look like it's going the right direction, so you better intervene. But you don't know what God's doing with that thing. And like we sang about today, he's wanting to impress just the nature of victory on your heart so that you can see that thing and say, I don't understand it, but I know it's going to turn out for good. I know because my hope is in Jesus always, whether I understand it or don't understand it. And so that's the significance of this next verse. They, the Passion Translation gave, gave it a little title called Discerning the Time. That's why he had me read this verse. Jesus said to the crowds gathered around him, when you see a cloud forming in the west, don't you say a storm is brewing? And then it arrives. It talks about discerning the times. We've been singing about it, talking about it, sharing words about it, preaching about it. If you look back, it's all littered through there about watching what was happening. I believe the day that he gave me this, there were some major um, storms blowing in. You know, we had earlier this week, we had major storms. And I was reading this and I was like, Holy Spirit, I know you're saying something. And he's saying, discern the times. Discern the times. Don't be unwilling to understand the spiritual significance of the time you're living in. You can't even judge for yourselves what is good and right. That's why he said at the beginning of this pair of this section, immerse yourself in God's judgment. You can't judge what's right or wrong. I can judge what's right and wrong. And I and he will help you. He helps us judge what's right and wrong. But you can't even judge for yourselves what is good and right. But because we are open to him and we ask him to speak to us, he's telling us what's going on. He's telling us what's going on and what's coming. So understand the spiritual significance. Again, the Holy Spirit just keeps emphasizing this. Like, I wish that I had another way to say how important it was because he's saying this is a spiritually significant time in the whole world. It is not going to skip over us. It's not skipping over us. And we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that when we see it from his perspective. People are going nuts in the world going absolutely crazy, trying to come up with all kinds of reactions because no one can avoid seeing what's happening in the world. There is not a person on earth that can avoid seeing what's happening in the world right now. So they're all scrambling to try to come up with some reaction, some way to frame it, you know, some way to feel about it. Everyone can see it. This is happening. <laughs> this is happening in our time. Be aware of the season. Now, the last verse in this passage, 58, when you are wrong, it's better that you agree with your adversary and settle your dispute before you have to go before a judge. Now, I asked the Holy Spirit about this, and Tisa and I talked about it, and I felt like what, what the Holy Spirit was saying is here, I'm telling you, you're wrong. I'm telling you, you have not immersed yourself completely in my judgment, in my discernment. You have been judging for yourself. I'm telling you, the storms are coming in. They are blowing in. I'm making it obvious in the natural that this is happening. And you are in the wrong in some areas. Not all areas, some areas. No one is missing out on this. This applies to everyone. You are wrong. It is better that you agree with me when I tell you this, is what Papa's saying. Just agree with me and settle the dispute before you have to go before a judge. This isn't a time to arm wrestle with God. This isn't a time to debate with him. He's saying, people, I am telling you, 
point blank what is happening in the world. I'm telling you point blank what you need to align with. And I'm telling you, you better do it. You better make the choice in your heart because it's happening. It's happening. You will experience the fire of God going through your life. In, in this season, it's not a distant season. This season, you will experience it. It is his compassion and his love that he's telling us what's happening so you can align your heart with him. He will keep your heart safe. He will keep you keep you impressed with his victory so that you have hope no matter what it looks like on your landscape. Regardless of the circumstances, he has the ability to hold your heart. Do you understand that? He has the ability when everything looks like the worst has happened. He has the ability to hold your heart and impress the words victory on it so that all you see is hope. It's the peace that passes understanding. Remember, that's who we have our hope in. So I was asking the Holy Spirit, what's the big picture message? And I've I've done my best to write it out into a word here. It's probably more than this because it's just that big, okay? But he kept bringing back to me that thing from several years ago where he told me that gave me the dream, protect the revelations of Jesus. And we made, we have determined what that meant, you know, on various levels, what that means to guard the revelations of Jesus shared. But he was, he kept saying it over and over again, protect the revelations of Jesus. And I believe what he's saying today is the, this is what Jesus came to reveal. That's why we read that verse. He came to separate light from dark. He came to divide. It will create hostility in some of your relationships. It's because he's removing that. It doesn't mean that people have to be out of your life. I'm just saying he's highlighting what's good for God and what's against God. That's it. Protect the revelations of Jesus so we could partner with him when he brings that scalpel into our lives. We can actually partner with him in that process and protect what he is revealing instead of trying to kick against the goads and kick and scream and flounder around and panic and ask him to help. He will help you, but he's going to bring you right back to this place. He's going to ask you, can you protect what I'm doing? Protect the revelations of Jesus. I wrote, Jesus, you came like a searing flame to separate us from what was associated with the grave. You rose from that grave, taking the keys away from the enemy that would defeat us. You said, enough, enough. I won't let his kingdom advance for one more day. You rose from the grave and made a way for us to follow you in resurrection power. Yet still today, there are those who parent and teach with words that defeat, clothing God's children in identities that keep them chained to that very grave. We've been set free. We've been given the keys, and yet we choose to use words that create bondage, confusion, and the very traps that Jesus set us free of. Again, remember, this speaks to more than just parents. Everybody is fostering someone else's development. The Holy Spirit said, make no mistake about my coming. 
Make no mistake about my coming. Make no mistake about my reason. I'm telling you, he is saying this is a serious matter. Don't be misled. Don't stay in a fog. Don't stay deceived in some watered-down theology of what's actually going on. Make no mistake about my coming. As parents, as teachers, as those fostering the growth of God's children, we have made a grave error. It's time for us to join God in saying, enough. We have allowed the world around us, the culture of our times, to define our agendas in raising our children. We have molded their precious lives to match the world around us instead of God's design for them. Yes, for most of us, our intentions are good. We want to teach them survival and prepare them to thrive in the world as we see it. The one we're going to send them out into. But good intentions are not nearly enough to qualify as a standard for love. Good intentions are not nearly enough to qualify as a standard for love. True love is always in line with love's origin and its definitions. I have no doubt that every parent in the world loves their child. Hopefully every teacher loves the people that they're teaching and every leader loves those that they're leading. But we have had wrong definitions of what love is. And we have an opportunity right now, and God is saying, please see this, that what you've called love isn't love. You are not loving your children if you are just partnering with the way you see the world, because it is not lined up with love's origin, which is him and his definitions. We see the world the way we grew up, what we didn't have, what we needed more of, what we, we try to solve, what we experienced as children, or we see the things in the world, and so we modify our, our plans, our treatment plans, our teaching plans, and all of that for our children to, according to what's happening in the world. And he's saying, no, there's only one standard. Your hope is in Jesus. The end, period. Your hope is in Jesus. Your children's hope is in Jesus. It, that means your love for them needs to be lined up with what God says. It's that cut and dry. And we have mistakenly and in our ignorance allowed ourselves to mold children, mold those that are following us into a way that looks like it would fit well in what the world calls success. Instead of always looking at the plumb line of God's truth. True love is always in line with love's origin and its definitions. Whose definitions? God's. God is love. Yet we parent and teach according to how we see. We use our own judgment to determine what our children need. But the time has come when God is saying, enough. And in response, he is flooding the earth with his love. 
His love doesn't come just to soothe and comfort. His love comes to purify, and that often means divide. Sharper than a two-edged sword, more powerful than a scalpel, to divide at the core, he comes to remove the thinnest of veils from his creation the ones so closely adhered to the object of their bondage that we can no longer see them. The ones we've accepted and renamed, the ones we called good and said were enough to pass for love. His love comes to refine, to purify, and yes, that means divide. His love is coming with love's truest judgment. What passed for love in the not-so-distant past will no longer remain. He has spoken, and he said, enough. As mothers, fathers, teachers, leaders, we must join him in saying, enough. We must fall on our faces in the lowest of places, with total and complete humility. We must choose for ourselves to be subject to his truth and nothing less. We must allow him to reframe our mindsets, to remake and renew us in all we do. We must ask him with the entirety of our being to realign us with his definitions and his agendas. Only then, only then will we parent and foster the development of his children according to his design. It's time for the great divide. His purifying love has said enough, enough, enough. Now, I can say as a mom myself, you know, there's lots of stuff that I can look back and say that, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. There's always hindsight. You know, hindsight's always 20-20. But the anchor for me is that I taught my son about God. It may have been ugly. It may have been messy. But I, I... Put him in a position to hear this truth. Because you know what? I'm not going to be around for him in his later, in his future. I may not be here for any of his future. Who knows? I'm not going to be there to explain why I saw the world as I saw it and made the decisions that I made. There's only one resource that he's going to have to go to that's going to explain, and it's God. It's God's truth. There is no other hope besides Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus, our children's future, and their hope is in Jesus. If we are speaking anything that is contrary to Jesus, we are misleading them and setting them up to be in a trap. It's just that simple. It's really that simple. If we are teachers in classrooms, leaders in churches, leaders in any other organization, whether you're a mentor or a preschool teacher or an art teacher or a music teacher, if you just have a neighbor 
who follows you, somebody you babysit, anyone, anyone, everyone is leading someone. If we are speaking anything other than God's truth to them, if we are choosing and demonstrating things with our lives that are anything other than pointing them towards God's plumb line, we are doing them a disservice. We are betraying them and setting them up. It may not be in 10 years or 20 years or 50 years, but there will come a day when they themselves will feel the fire of God's love on their life and they will know the truth. And they will look back and know whether you spoke truth to them, whether they hated it at the the time or not. They will know whether or not their life at that point, if you tried to lead them in the right direction. It is critical that we get this. There's so much going on in the political arena. There are so many, you know, deluded things and, and things called one thing that are really something else. None of that matters. It's simple. Our hope is in Jesus. God provided the word. It is a living word. We have a source to go to, to know what God said is true. Thousands and thousands of years ago, it was true before Adam and Eve walked the earth. It was true before there was a Garden of Eden. It's been true this entire time, and it's going to be true for eternity. We can either speak words that line up with that and lead others that line up with that, even if it looks ridiculous, even if it makes no sense. We are doing love's work when we align our words, our teaching, our training, our modeling with truth. There's only one truth. It's God's truth. Truth is not, is not something up for debate. There is an original source. There is an original source. And we have this opportunity in the year 2022 to choose how we're going to line up our future and our children's future and the next generation after that and the next generation after that. Will your legacy be lined up with God's truth or will it look like a wiggly line that was just a blur? It's time for the great divide. He's coming with his scalpel and he is separating light from dark on every level every level. He's purifying love has said enough. I've got to read these two, these few other verses. Proverbs 14, one, again, this applies to moms, to women, but it applies to all of us. The wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts and her household thrives. But the foolish one who lacks spiritual insight tears it down with her own hands by ignoring godly principles. Proverbs 14, 1 in the Amplified, look it up yourselves. By ignoring godly principles, the foolish one tears it down with her own hands. You can call it love. You can say you're, you're doing your best. But if you are ignoring godly principles, you are actually causing your children harm. You are actually hurting the next generation. It's that serious and it's that simple. Every wise woman encourages and builds up her family, but a foolish woman over time will tear it down by her own actions. That's the Passion Translation. As I said, hindsight's always 20-20. I didn't know this. I didn't have this knowledge for the entire entirety of my parenting time. But the day I became aware of it, I made a choice. Yes. And that's my anchor. And that's why I can celebrate on Mother's Day. That's why I can say there is victory and hope out ahead because 
I'm, my choices were anchored to godly truth. Not what I saw, not how I saw things, not my understanding. Something that's way bigger than me. That's what my choices were anchored to. It may not have been perfect. It may not have been pretty, but it was anchored to godly truth. And godly truth prevails always. It will be here hundreds and hundreds of years from now when people don't even know our names anymore. It's just that simple. And because of Jesus, we can ask him to go back and redeem the seeds that were sown when we didn't know what we were doing. Go back and listen to those words that we shared recently. It doesn't matter what we didn't know. It doesn't matter how much we molded or framed and did in the past. The moment you become aware, you can ask him. That's what Jesus died on the cross for. That's why he died on the cross. So that he could come with his scalpel and separate, separate the dark from the light, the truth from the lies, and then redeem it for all the times you didn't know. Go back and listen to that word. Redemption was complete before you were ever born. And God provided it. God provided everything that was needed to redeem. So it is never too late. It is never hopeless. It is never a matter of what you know. It is never a matter of how, of whether you know how to do it. There's truth. Look at it. Tisa said it recently. Look at that truth. Stare it in the face until you see yourself in it. It doesn't matter what, if this is the first time you've heard this, the 20th time, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. It is never too late. And God, in his compassion and his mercy, will just redeem it all. He'll redeem it all. You could have planted, planted avocado seeds and he'll just switch it into grapes or whatever. He can just do that. It's never too late. And it's never a matter of not knowing how. Deuteronomy, this is Old Testament, people. Deuteronomy, before Jesus came and said blatantly all that he said, okay? And before all that the Holy Spirit's saying now, in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 7 in the voice, listen, Israel, the eternal is our true God. He alone. He alone. You should love him, your true God, with all your heart and soul with every ounce of your strength. Make the things I'm commanding you today part of who you are. Stare at the truth until you see yourself in it and it becomes a part of you. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're sitting together in your home and when you're walking together down the road. Make them the last thing you talk about before you go to bed and the first thing you talk about the next morning. Immerse yourselves in God's judgment. He, it's an invitation and it's unlike any other. It's an invitation, it's a recommendation, whatever you want to call it, it's truth. And we would be wise to listen to it in every possible area that you can. Every possible area. Just ask God to show you where to start. Just ask him to show you. It's the little things. It's the big things. It's all of it. But he will take you one step at a time. And he 
always provides the grace, the supernatural power to be able to implement the word that he has released. So I just release over each of you now, everyone hearing the sound of my voice, you, I release that supernatural power to empower you to do what this word is convicting you of right now. You have the power to do it. God has already pre-provided the power for you to make this change in your life, to realign with his plumb line of truth. So I just say, Papa, do it again. You've done this for so many people for generations and generations, generations more than we can even know you have done this. You've provided a plumb line of truth and you provided a way for us to come into alignment with it no matter our age, no matter how much life we've already lived, no matter how much we've already parented, no matter how many choices we've already made. You made it possible for us to immediately snap into alignment with you. So we just say today, we choose that. We choose that to be snapped into alignment, snapped into alignment right now. I just snap you into alignment right now in the name of Jesus. I just snap you into alignment right now in the name of Jesus. Consider yourself realigned. Choose your next steps wisely. In Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.